0: morning good morning it's good to be here i love a clock i mean i love a church with a big clock and that that should make you feel at ease and it makes me feel at ease too so i will i know what time i have to be done i don't have to be done i guess joel was kind he said i pref- kind of said It'd be good if you were done by <laughs> he didn't say when but he did um but it's good to be here this morning and um if you've never met me i guess you're lucky but uh believe it or not i have been a missionary under the umbrella of uh, grace baptist church in millersville for a long 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 time and i mean it goes back to uh the sam worth pastor sam worth, back in those days i remember a nursery out here in the side yard used to be a nursery right down in there right that land is for sale now i used to picture like greenhouses or something over there maybe, maybe i'm wrong but i remember back a long time maybe a long a lot longer details than you all remember maybe but um so I really have been under this umbrella of this church for a long, long time, and that that speaks volumes uh, to to me personally. Um, I am one of your missionaries, and in some ways, that's kind of an uneasy thing to say when you walk in the door of a church. Because, and this is not a it's just an observation; it's not a criticism, but we're living in a day to day where you know things like big missions conferences and all that seem like they're almost gone, um, and so. I grew up in an era, I'm, I'm 71, I'll be 72 in November, I think that's about right, no, I'll be 71 in November, I, I was born in 1950, no, I'll be 72 in November, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> boy, I tell you, legs are gone, mind's going. uh but i tell you, as and I appreciate what uh, Pastor Joel said this morning, it meant a lot to me, uh, Pastor, because when I look at a bulletin, I see Camp at Old Mill, I'm thinking, man, is that what they think of me, Camp at Old Mill, and I'm thinking, a lot more there than meets the eye, um, the camp is just uh, I actually like to call it the campus now at Old Mill only because I don't even want people thinking that that's really everything we do. Uh, the campus is basically just one of many 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 uh, blessings that God bestowed upon us uh, through so many years. Uh, this summer for me uh, will be the thirtieth year since we've purchased the old mill bible conference and and um, that may not mean anything to you, the Old Mill Bible Conference, but if you go back to 1933, I wasn't around then, but in 1933, my grandfather was, and my grandfather was uh, defrocked in the Presbyterian denomination in those days with other great men of God like, uh, I'm not sure if uh, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse was actually defrocked, but I think he probably was, machin and men like that who took a strong stand on the word of God it was the what they call it the fundamentalist controversy and Westminster Seminary began and 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 that was really all on the and there's a book that I actually will uh, mention to you right now I mentioned the name of the past pastor author who wrote it uh, Wilbur Montgomery Smith uh, Wilbur M. Smith he uh, wrote his book I think it was 1945 it may have been in the 30s uh, when he wrote the book uh, but that book was called therefore stand If you want to read a good book this summer i commend that to you. It's about 600 pages, um, and the first part of it might be difficult wading through, but what you'll see in there is the collapse of the church in, in, in the um, spiritual way, in the obedient way, in Europe uh, in the 30s, and the turning away from God in the 30s, and, and the atheism, and the nihilism, and the liberalism of the, of the 30s in Europe, Eastern Europe and Western Europe. Uh, which brought forth uh, Nazism and communism and World War II and, and just the ugliness of all of that. And, and that spilled over the ocean to this country and to uh, the great schools of Harvard and Yale and Princeton and all those great schools which were started uh, in the name of Jesus Christ to train pastors and, and how liberalism again came in. And now you say Harvard, is like, what? You know, you're talking about you know, liberalism center and, uh, and yet, um, you know, it just, it's a history, therefore stand. And it just tells you, Wilbur Smith, in very d- great detail of the collapse of Eastern Europe, Western Europe, and then America, and the warnings of that. And the last half of that book, therefore stand, uh, would speak powerfully to you and me right now. Um, how to basically live in this moment of time. And he was writing in the 40s, 30s. Uh we're reading it in the in the year two thousand and twenty-two, and believe me, it is as real as ever before. The sad thing is it's here. It's not there, it's here on this continent. And I don't need to tell you that. Uh, but we're living in a very difficult time. But the old mill was begun in nineteen thirty-three under men like Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh a guy named uh Dr. Clarence E. Mason, who was one of the editors of the old Schofield Bible and and um, great men like that, who began the Old Mill in 1933, among other camp meetings around the world and around the country, to basically offset this liberalism here in the United States, to preach the word of God in the Bible conferences and to return to the word of God. So 1933, for me, to own the Old Mill Bible Conference today, in the year 2022, is very significant for me because we've owned it for 30 years. But we bought it in rundown condition, and it, it, we bought it for one reason, and that was, number one, to reach the children of Coatesville. We were already doing that in the housing projects. We were already doing that in every single way we possibly could, running buses and having Bible clubs and ministering to prisoners' kids. But the, but the houses in Coatesville, the, the uh, federal housing projects, were being torn down. And because they were being torn down, I said, wow, what are we going to do now uh, finding all these kids in all these neighborhoods And and we continued to do that ministry, uh, but the Old Mill was up for sale. Philadelphia College of Bible had been given the Old Mill Bible Conference. It was still under that name. And so I went to Philadelphia College of Bible. That's where I graduated in 1972. And I went to the uh, Board of Trustees. I knew one of the men there, and I said, is there any way possible you'd consider our ministry buying that rundown Bible conference? It's only six miles from Coatesville. Imagine that, Coatesville kids, can go six miles and enjoy this sacred property that was dedicated to the word of God in 1933. That was 30 years ago. We bought the camp for $75,000. Today it's probably worth a couple million dollars. Someone just donated a $225,000 pavilion we're going to be enjoying hopefully in a week from this Monday for the first time under the roof. Not closed in, but it's, believe me, it's a big, beautiful under-roof pavilion where we can have something for the kids to do on a rainy day in summer camps. We've never had that. And so that's a blessing this summer. And you can pray as we transition into that. The circle on the basketball court has written on it the same words that are on the front of the Old Mill Bible Conference Chapel, to know Christ and to make him known. To know Christ and to make him known. And those words from 1930s, which were on the wall of our campus there, are now on the jump circle of the basketball court. But again, those words itself, To know Christ and to make him known. If you look up that term, many times it's traced to the navigators who began in the 1930s. That was their theme, to know Christ and to make him known. And so here we are in the year 2022, literally proclaiming the same message that was cried for in the 30s during liberalism. And look where we are today in America. In 1980, I removed myself from a denomination called the American Baptist Convention. I voted out of that. I left that because of its views in the 70s and the 80s on abortion and inerrancy. I found myself taking stands as a young man in my 30s against my own denomination for turning away from the word of God, doing what they did in the 30s in Europe. I went to school where we read the Bible, public school, I had teachers that had to whether they wanted to or not. They probably didn't even think about it. They read the Bible. We said the Lord's Prayer. We saluted the flag. That all stopped in 1961, 62. I was in eighth grade when Kennedy got shot. I'll tell you, my, my world has changed. Look where we are today morally and spiritually in America. Now you say, Pastor, why don't we give a mission report of our work? Well, that's kind of the context of, in which our work has formed. That's why Pastor Joel said earlier, you know, we're not the camp at Old Mill. The campus of Old Mill is just an historic blessing that we've been able to preserve to this hour in history. Matter of fact, this week, I'm going to have hung, I haven't even seen it yet, but we had it displayed. I wish now I hadn't done it because of the cost of it. That's $800, but we just got hit with about $25,000 in plumbing from an electrical surge in our camp and I'll tell you as a church you may not know this and many of you do your trustees know it, and your missions board knows it I mean there was a time about a year ago we had a big furnace problem and an oil burner problem and this church came through not just in your mission support which I think is $200 a month which you've been giving to us faithfully but I know at that time you even sent us a special love gift towards the cost of that damage against our furnaces at the camp You've been engaged with us. You may not know me. You may not even look what I would look like, but I can tell you, you've been involved in my, in my life. And so I'm, I'm, I don't feel a stranger to you this morning. So when I began in prison, I was 23 years old, 23. I was a chaplain at the Chester County prison. I'm still the head chaplain at Chester County prison at the age of 72. So this summer for me is 30 years owning the camp and 50 years next year being in prison. And I'll tell you, you can't work in prison without seeing the need of families. You can't work in the church today without that. But but to see the need of families when 75% of my men in jail are fathers and 95% of the women in my jail are mothers and grandmothers, You can't be a chaplain and not minister to the families. That's why we began kids clubs in Coatesville. There was a murder just two days ago there. Not a murder before that. Two women were shot and killed. But just two nights ago, right at Fifth Avenue and Lincoln Highway, in front of the church I grew up in, Pastor Joel. right, Right there at the corner, Fifth and Lincoln Highway. A shooting of a man who died, shot in the hip, and bled to death by two young men in hoodies on the run right now probably some of my former Bible club kids. That's normally the case because that's the population we deal with. So the kids that are dead in Coatesville and the kids that are shooting them dead are all my Bible club kids. That's why I go to jail now and I'm seen in the block and they'll call me Mr. Jack. Very familiar, believe me, what I'm talking about. But you can't work in jail not be concerned for the men who open the door for you and the women who open the door for you and turn the key for you now there's no keys it's all electric and popping switches but I can tell you I've gone into jail for 50 years and I pray before God that I can say to you today as young as I was at 22 23 in 1973 today at 72 years of age almost I'm saying to you the passion is no less it's greater The problem is I'm older now. There's a lot more stuff on my heart, a lot more stuff I have to deal with. I can't just say tomorrow I'm going to jail. Tomorrow I got to worry about plumbing. Got to worry about getting food for camp that'll start in another week. Feeding 90 kids every day, three meals a day. Trying to get a bus on the road. Trying to keep vans on the road. It's not what I was called to do. It's something you do because as you, as God blesses, there's more and more to do. And I thank God for that. not complaining. This week, if I wanted to, I could be inside the Capitol of the United States of America. Why? Because God's given me those opportunities. It hasn't just been Coatesville. It hasn't just been Chester County. It hasn't just been Pennsylvania. I'm not paid to be a police officer chaplain by the state police. It's something that you're chosen for and something that you're trained for and something that you're allowed to do with their authority, but it's just another privilege that God's given me. But I've also been, I'm a chaplain for Point Man Leadership Institute. If You do the math again, back to 1973, a man named Bob Vernon was the assistant chief of Los Angeles Police, Bob Vernon. Godly, he's now 87, 88 years old. He started Point Man. You ought to read his book, probably still published, Lessons from the Firestorm. Bob got thrown out of L.A. after 38 years being an assistant chief of police. Why? He could have been the chief, but because of his convictions for Christ and the things of God, they didn't want him to be chief of, of, of L.A. The Rodney King riot began. L.A. went burning up. I'll tell you what, You ask if Bob could speak today, he can. He had a stroke four years ago. He's on a bed of affliction this great man of God who started Point Man Leadership Institute. The, I have the privilege of being the chaplain for Point Man Leadership Institute around the world. That means I have, I've been all over the world. I've been in many, many countries. I'm not paid to do it, but I've been able to weep in front of African police officers in, in many, many African countries, in Romania, in many, many nations, Hungary. I was in the Moscow Police Academy which today is at war with the West. I was inside the Generals Academy. I have a I have a pocket watch at home with the with the um the uh what's it called the hammer and sickle is on the pocket watch given to me by General Medikov when we were in there teaching them principles of leadership and sharing Christ with generals in Russia in the late nineties with Bob Vernon. I could go on and on and on. And you know, Pastor Joel, I may be wrong biblically and you can Correct me if you want to, because I respect you, brother, and I appreciate you. I really do, Joel. I really do. Special church. Most churches who support me never even ask me to come and speak anymore. Not because they don't like me. They just don't have missionaries anymore. So I'm a stranger. But just think how much I need your prayers. And there's missionaries like me all over the world that will never get a chance to meet you that you support. Don't underestimate the power of your prayer. I always say to my wife, someday I'm going to meet the people in heaven who prayed for me. They're going to be my heroes. And I'm going to meet some of those people that supported me physically, financially, that I never met in my life. There's a woman named Mary who writes a check every month for $400 to our ministry for about 25 years. I've never even met her. I would, she, could, I, she could be sitting here this morning, and I wouldn't even know it. My wife sometimes kid me. She says, honey, how come you say hi to everybody and talk to everybody? I said, you never know. They might be one of my supporters. <laughs> Just be friendly. And so this morning I, I will say to you, as a, a blessed father, blessed husband, gave my wife coffee in bed this morning with a sticky bun. She's listening to my son preach this morning at Wagontown Chapel. We go as much as we can to support him. He's been there for a long time. We'll go tonight to my son's other son's church, Providence, Coatesville, where he planted an urban church. Right in the hood, right downtown Coatsville. Now, you talk about a tough work. There's a tough work. I mean a tough work because most people who come, believe me, need Jesus Christ. And I mean it is rough. And what I need, I'm praying for Joshua. That's my youngest boy, the church planner in Coatesville, that God would bring alongside of him mature Christian families that would support that work. And I see it all the time as a dad looking at it. Breaks my heart. I can't say anything. When you're coming to your boys' churches, you don't say a whole lot. You just watch. But you really watch how people are unfaithful. And when it's your son's pulpit, it really gets to you. Watch young families come into a church plant in Coatesville that needs a godly, Christ-centered mom, dad, and kids as a testimony. Everybody else got a broken home. Everybody else is living with somebody. It's a mess. And I say, hey, Josh, where's that couple been that were coming with their kids? Well, Daddy, they, they really don't. They want to go to a church where their kids have a better Sunday school. and They don't get it. They don't get it. My boys grew up in a house where every meal, every day, we had people walking in our doors, sitting at our dinner table. Sleeping on our floor. That's why we started City Gate. We couldn't keep housing everybody. My boys were used to it. I have family, not immediate to my own blood, but distant cousins and stuff like that, who never even wanted to come to our house anymore. They said, Jack, every time we came to have dinner with you, all these guys would show up. That's the way our house is. Something's going to happen to your boys, Jack. Your boys are growing up around some bad, bad people. All I can tell you is all three of them are serving the Lord today and raising our 11 grandkids for the glory of Christ. And I'm thankful for that. Our oldest son is 49, Jonathan. He's an evangelist in the X Game world, professional fisherman, too, by the way. Timmy's the pastor. Josh, he's the church planter. Very, very blessed. I have to preach. I have to be done in 20 minutes. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of all that, setting the tone for where I am today, I'm a real missionary on a real day in my life, facing real ministry. I'm not out of my my element. I'm not here on a furlough. I'm in the work. So I'm battle scarred, okay? That's what I'm like. This is the real thing right here. And so what I'm gonna say to you the next few minutes is where I am now and where I believe God's word is speaking to me now and has been. If you read any of the letters I send to the church every month, because you give every month, I send to you every month, believe me, you would know my heart pretty well. Nothing I'll say here will surprise any of you that know me well. Let me read something from 1945, 1945. This is from the book, Therefore Stand by Wilbur Smith. That's that man I told you about earlier. Coach for Presbyterian Church. Listen to this from 1945. This business of living right is dreadfully serious business. Men may revolt against the moral law in a day like ours and laugh at what they call the restraints of religion, and the narrowness of our Puritan fathers. They may talk about repressive and oppressive influences of the church, total freedom from all restrictions. They may urge revolutions not only in the state, but in the realms of morals that will throw off the binding influence. But righteousness is still the norm of life in the sight of God. It is an unchanging and eternal attribute of God himself. He has ever been righteous towards men because he is righteous in himself and he demands that men be righteous in every relation of life, in all comprehending knowledge of the thought and actions of men. It is past time for men to wake out of the stupefying influence of our contemporary passion for lawlessness, license, unrestraint, this eagerness for smashing all previously accepted precepts, this inexpressibly foolish determination to build a new moral foundation for life made out of material which has already been proved to be treacherous sand. It is time to come face to face with the fact that God is righteous, that God's laws are righteous, that God demands righteousness, that God has sent his righteous son to save us, and that an hour is coming when men are going to stand before his righteous judge, and unless they repent and believe, they'll be condemned for their deliberately unrighteous life. 1945. Wilbur Smith. Imagine trying to impose our biblical morality on everybody else. That's what I was accused of in 1980 when I left the American Baptist Convention. Matter of fact, it's said in the Philadelphia Bulletin, now they no longer exists, but the big newspaper in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Bulletin, says we are pro-choice and we are in good company. That was the headline. We are pro-choice and we are in good company. The American Baptist Convention was in that article with the Gay Liberation Task Force. In good company. That was 1981. I went to the denomination. Said where you guys stand. They laughed me out of the office. Because on that article it said. We are sick and tired of religious fundamentalists. Trying to impose their biblical morality. On all the rest of us. And we on this Columbus Day. Assert our right to choose. Well they chose. You think the Supreme Court has made bad decisions. You think that. Congress has made bad decisions. Let me tell you, spiritual leaders have led the way. I'll be kind and not name a few, because I had to contend with some of them. And believe me, the battle's on. The battle is on. For me, I would start this message this morning with three T's tectonic, toxic, and total. What I mean by tectonic is basically, I believe there's been such a moral, spiritual shift. It's nothing new in the world, but it certainly seems to be in our face with all kinds of um, fearlessness in this hour. Tectonic in the sense that the moral and spiritual shift in this nation is so dangerous. It's as if the foundation's already gone, like the shifting of the of the ground for an earthquake. It's tectonic. It's toxic. If toxic hasn't, isn't anything that comes to your mind when your eyes and your ears listen and look at what's going on around you, whether you want to see it or not, whether you want to hear it or not, it's a toxic, toxic time. And what a, by the word total there, I never used that in these three terms, but tectonic, toxic, and total. I used to say, and I still say, that God has spoken in space and in time. I've said that many times. Francis Schaeffer, the great Christian philosopher always used to say that right God has spoken in space and in time and I remember he wrote a book on that and um, he is there he is not silent was the title of it and, and I remember as a 17 year old at college at Houghton College in New York when I was all alone far from home mom just died a year before that when I was in high school and I was say okay God speak to me and 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 I remember just as a young man at Houghton College those terms hit me real hard he is there and he is not silent he is there and he is not silent and then Schaefer would say God has spoken in space and in time and what he means is you can you can see the evidence of what God has done in history in space and you can see what he's done in the course of time that was Schaefer's point but just a week ago I think I for the first time I've ever heard it this way it is the desire of Of everything against Christ. Everything against the truth. To fill up space and time. To fill up everything. Against Christ. Against his word. In space. Meaning in actual experience. Whether it's your reading. Your advertisements. Your television shows. Your music. Your media. Your FaceTime. All of that. Space, fill it up with lies. In time, all time. In that sense, we're living in a time that is dangerous, I believe, tectonic, toxic, and totally under attack. During COVID, just like you, I'll admit that was that has been and has continued to be the most probably difficult two years of my life during COVID. I'll tell you why, because the chapels in our prison ceased. Used to have thirty-eight of them a week, and I can guarantee you, in my jail, at least thirty of them were evangelical, literally, around the things of Christ. Our jail was known for it. Stopped. We still haven't had a chapel. As of today. We have chaplains in there working, counseling. The one good thing that was given to me was the opportunity because one of our own officers was very sick with COVID in the beginning of COVID two years ago and actually died of it. When Sergeant Zambrana was sick, my warden asked me, he said, Jack, would you please come on the telephone with us every day with with the entire staff, our command staff, treatment staff and security staff. And would you meet with us every day on the phone and at the, end of the, at the end of the call, would you please pray for Sergeant Zambrana? And if you want to, say a personal word. And so I said, Warden, I'd be happy to do it as long as I can pray in the name of Jesus. And that was my first request with my staff was that when I call, I want to pray for all of you. But I said, I want to do it in the name of Jesus. It's something I really believe is important to answer prayer. And I can honestly tell you for the last two point whatever months, years, I've been able to pray with the staff at Chester County Prison. They get a chance to hang up if they want to. I'm the last word. But I'll tell you what, it's been a wonderful year to share about three and a half, four minutes with my staff. I beg God for right words with them, and then I pray for them in the name of Jesus. But there's two questions I brought up more than any other questions during the whole year. It's been this and this rhetorical. Has God spoken? has God ever spoken, I ask my staff. And if he has, I'm, no, I said, I'm sorry, if God has spoken, the rhetorical question is, what has he said? And the second thing is, has God acted in history? And the question is, what has he done? And I really believe those two questions raise the critical hour we're in today. There's an urgency in my life, more than ever before. And for me, I ask the question, who is speaking for God today? Who do you think is speaking for God today in the public square? So much has been politicized. It's either left or right. Even that has become toxic and divisive. I know just a couple of nights ago, there was the first public hearing of the June, January 16th debacle on Capitol Hill. I flew to Miami that week, January 6th of 2021. I took an invitation to speak to the Miami police. Someone wanted to have an occasion to thank Miami, Florida police for all their great service. It was the week of January 6th, and the event had not yet happened yet there at the Capitol. I knew the inauguration was coming up. I was very engaged in that, and I thought if I get one chance to say something to police officers, I'm going to say it. And so I said, God, fill my lips with something that's worth flying all the way to Miami, Florida and back. And it was that day, January 6th, I was on the radio at Calvary Chapel in, in, in Miami doing an interview when the, when the lady was shot at the Capitol and killed. It was at that very moment I was going on the air around two, about 3 o'clock or so in the afternoon. I wasn't going to be speaking to the Miami police until January the 8th, which I did. I only had 10 minutes to speak to the Miami police to fly all the way there and back. I had 10 minutes. I said, Lord, give me something. Give me something that if I get one shot at the Miami police, what it would be. And of course, I always preach Christ. And I chose Psalm 19. Again, I'm not going to turn to it. I'm watching that clock. I guess i still got 11 minutes. But Psalm 19 begins with the heavens declare the glory of God. You read Psalm 19, the first half of that, and it's nothing but a declaration of what God has done. One thing that God has done, how he's seen in everything that he has done, how God has acted in history. And then the second half of Psalm 19 is nothing but just one line after another after another of what God has said, what he has spoken. And then the psalmist concludes, and I challenged on Miami police with this, I said, there's ever a time when law enforcement needs this in their hearts, it's now. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Then I elaborated on Psalm 19, verse 14, that last verse, because I challenged the Miami police to tell them in a world that's falling apart around you, Of course, just imagine the mood at that time, two days after the riot. I'm thinking, God, give me the right words for these men for this hour. And I'll tell you, for me, if I had to just put everything down into one statement this morning, it would really be this, and I'd say it to me. I'll say it to you, but I'll say it to me. And that is, Jack, what is happening between you and the Lord in the quiet place? What is happening between you and the Lord in the quiet place? Because I think if ever before, there's a time when we need to hear from God. It's now. Certainly in my lifetime. And I hear a lot of people speaking and I see a lot of people writing books and I see a lot of these conventions of pastors and they call themselves by all kinds of names and I'm not even going to go there. So, I don't want to get in trouble with anybody. While one large body of pastors is meeting soon to discuss the corruption in the big ranks of the Southern Baptist Convention. And everybody pivots off of that. Together for the gospel. I'm mentioning some of them. A lot of people talking, a lot of people writing. And I don't want to say pontificating, but I'm going to say it because there's a lot of pontificating. And you can say all you want in a safe circle and write your book and be applauded and sell your book. But it's not helping the cause in the marketplace of America and the world. You see, God chose to bring his love for man in his sin by coming into it, becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And he did it even unto the death of the cross. I'm convinced more than ever before. It's not just what I preach. It's got to be how I live my life. And how people either know that I love the Lord and the people that need to know the Lord know me. Or the people that really need to the Lord don't know me anyway. I'm not spending any time with them. I've chosen in the course of my life to want to be in the dark place. That's why I, wanted to, I felt God called me to prison. But I learned working in prison. Who am I? And here I am at age 72, almost 72. I've said that a million times. I think I now, now old I am. If I was to commend to you one book other than the Bible to read this summer, because if you read this book, you're going to read the Bible anyway, because it's about the Bible not really a hard read it's a short read of about 124 pages maybe john bunyan wrote it in 1688 and it wasn't progress there was a book that was in his saddlebags when he died just read the forward of the book the acceptable sacrifice by john bunyan and you'll already be convicted because the forwards written by his pastor friend john cocaine And even John Cocaine's words about John Bunyan and this book and its theme will convict you. The acceptable sacrifice. And it has a subtitle, which I give it. It's The Excellency of a Rightly Broken and Contrite Heart. The Excellency of a Rightly Broken and Contrite Heart. The book is based on Psalm 51 17, where David. Finds out from God that God does not delight in sacrifices. But he delights in a a broken and contrite heart. Isaiah 57 verse 15 tells us. That God dwells in two places. He dwells in the high and holy place. And he also dwells in the heart of the contrite ones to revive them. There's something about a rightly broken and contrite heart. That God esteems. It was John Bunyan's major message the last thing he ever wrote let me just ask you this morning in these last four minutes i have if you were to define the new creation the new creation if any man be in is a new creation all things are passed away all things become new what do you think that that new creation is really going to look like who is that person what should i become What should be the end game? What really matters in the end of it all? I think Bunyan would argue that if God could rightly break your heart and make you contrite, you'd shine more for Christ in this world than you ever have in your life. I'm more and more convinced it is the new creation because it's something that only can come from his hand. I'm going to give you a, a text real quick. I've been mentioning scripture through my talk here this morning. And I'm going to be a little different in my next message. So I'll keep covering other material. But 2 Timothy. I'll just leave this to you in closing. I've even heard men arguing. Writing books and arguing. And these are great men. I mean they're conservative Bible-believing men. I mean, they're men that are bestsellers today. And they're arguing over things like, it doesn't matter how you say it, just say it. In other words, tone doesn't matter. Matter of fact, they argue over it on radio shows. They have conferences about it. Tone doesn't matter. Just give them the truth. What if Jesus just gave us the truth? Was that his style? He was the way, the truth, and the life. And he gave himself to people. He gave himself. He met them in their worst condition. And I am thoroughly convinced this morning. There's a term that I'm using at my camp this summer. I haven't refined it yet the way I want to, but I'm working on it with all my heart. And it comes from that great missionary movie, The End of the Spear. Story of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, the book written by Nate Saint called The End of the Spear. Just that, just those words to me. Leave the story behind for a minute. I know what it means in the book, you know, the end of the spear. No more violence in that tribe of Wadani because of Christ. But when I think end of the spear, I think about my life. I'm thinking there's only so much left of it the end i'm in my last quarter if i'm even that i may die today i don't know i had a heart attack four years ago almost died had COVID in november with 82 oxygen almost didn't live the end the end the end when is your end oh you didn't know did you are you living like you don't know the end how much time and the spear that tip, that point. What's the point of it all? What are you aiming at? What's the target? What matters more to you this morning than anything else in the world? The end of the spirit. I'm taking 50 years of ministry. If God gives me mercy, and it would only take mercy. I don't deserve anything else. I mean, I, do des- I don't deserve mercy. I deserve his wrath. I like Habakkuk chapter three, verse two, where it says, Lord, in the midst of years, revive your work in wrath, remember mercy. And I always add in my life, Lord, if you'd be merciful to me, help me refine the end of the spear. And I'll tell you right now, I think God's doing that and it's difficult, but I believe he's doing it. And where that'll end up, I don't know, but I told my wife, I said, the next four months for me are extremely critical. I can assure you with all my heart. Paul says, or Paul says this to Timothy, and I'll quit. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just on this one issue of tone, this one issue of how am I saying what I'm saying? And before I say this, by the way, when Jesus dealt with my sin, this is how he did it. He said, Jack Cranes. This is how I feel about your sin. I'm going to tell you the truth, Jack Kranz. Are you ready? How I feel about your sin. Your sin, Jack Kranz, is so awful and so against me. I mean, there is no righteousness in you at all, Jack Kranz. There is no good in you at all. Your tongue, everything about you is exactly what it says in the scriptures. Jack Kranz, you deserve the wrath of God. I'm going to tell you something. I love you, and I love you so much. I'm going to die on the cross for you. You know, and that's heavy. That's a big thing right there. But you know what? I had praying grandparents. I had a praying dad, a wonderful praying mom who died at the age of 40. I had many, many blessings. I mean, God went out of his way for me. And even then, I needed him to take that bow and that arrow Pulled it back. There he saw me. Down it went. While the rest of the world seemed to go into hell. God so loved me. Hopefully to rightly break my heart. To the point where I realized I am nothing without him. Paul says to Timothy Verse 24 of chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men apt to teach in patience. In meekness, instruct those that oppose them if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who has taken them captive at his will. God says, if you want to see repentance in the lives of people around you, do all you can as a servant of the Lord to not strive but to be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those who are opposing you. If God may give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they might be recovered from the snare of the devil who's taken them captive, as will. Every day on the phone with my staff I'm saying, "Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer." The only way these people are ever going to hear anything I have to say is through you, Lord. Only you can break the heart. If you're here this morning and God's never broken your heart over your own sin, That's serious business. What Bunyan will argue is it is the business of God to give you a rightly broken and contrite heart. How many Christians have gone through their whole life taking salvation for granted and getting to the end of it all? Never once saying, Lord, I realize now what you did for me. Help me to be faithful for the days of my life father thank you forgive me lord if i bounced all over this morning but i'm just a warrior kind of dressed up this morning lord just trying to share my heart a little bit but you have been good very good to me and i know i'm a great debtor for that in jesus name